Alpaca pals, you know how much I love to solo travel. It's something I started doing when I was really young, and even though nowadays I mostly travel with my partner, I often think back to those solo trips that I did. I feel like those weeks that I spent completely alone helped me to gain a sense of confidence in myself and independence that I hadn't yet gained back at home. I'm not the only woman who feels this way about solo travel. Lots of women travel solo. According to a 2020 report, 47% of travelers with overseas adventure travel are registered as solo, and 85% of these solo travelers are women. Today on Alpaca My Bags, we're digging deeper into solo travel. We're chatting with Charlotte Simpson. Charlotte is a retired guidance counselor and solo traveler from Indianapolis. After losing her husband of 31 years, she decided to begin traveling solo so that she could start building a new normal for herself and see the world. There is a whole big world out there that you want to see and you want to enjoy. You want to do it at your own pace, in your own way. Don't take it the wrong way because I would love for my husband to be here. But it's like, if he's not here, I don't think I could have a better life in any kind of way than how I'm having it now. But before we dive into chatting with Charlotte, Katie. Yes. Well, I mean, everyone knows at this point that (laughs) I have booked my first international trip since the pandemic. And I know that you, this is kind of funny. So before the pandemic started, Katie and her partner, Mark, had booked a trip to Portugal, which obviously got canceled. Mm -hmm. And now I have decided to travel to Portugal. I I leave in eight days. So that would be my first international trip. And you are rebooking your trip to Portugal for some time in the next few months. So it's kind of funny. We're both going to go, but separately. Honestly, it makes me sad. I'm, I I know. I would um, rather go together. <laughs> and also, um, I saw some other people in the travel space who are also in Portugal recently, um, namely Yolanda and Omo from Hey, Dip Your Toes In. So everybody's going. What are you going to get up to? Because I actually don't even know what your like, quote unquote itinerary is for your trip. So I'm like super excited to know. Well, I'm going to fly into the north to a city called Porto, and I'm excited to go back because the first time I was there, I did a lot, but I was like a very poor backpacker on a budget. <laughs> like I was doing hostels and such. This time, you know, now that I'm You're a working woman, woman. <laughs> I have a little a little more money to spend, which is really nice. So I'm going to stay in a nice Airbnb and probably do some like nice dinners and visit a winery and do all the more like bougie things that I didn't do the first time I was there. And then I'm going to go to Sintra, which is like a small town that's close to Lisbon. They're really famous for their castles. And then I'm going to head to Lisbon, where a friend of mine, also from Toronto, she's just flying over a week after me. Um, She's going to meet me in Lisbon. And then she and I rented a car and we're going to drive like down the Algarve, like through the coast, um, down to the very bottom to a place called Lagos. So like the only the only difference, though, this time is every time I've ever traveled solo, I've stayed in hostels, like always. Mm. This is the first time I'm not staying in a hostel. And I would have. The only reason I'm not is because I felt like it was safer to get like a private room. Because I don't know, I was just like, "Mm, are we ready yet? Like, am I ready to sleep in a room with like other people I don't know? 
no, I'm not. I want to like play it as safe as possible. So, cause normally like in the hostel, you've, you've small talk with people and stuff. So it'd be weird not to have that kind of like community aspect. This is what it is. Hostels, they care about community. I worked in a hostel too. I don't know if you know that, yes, but I, I did spent like six months working in a hostel and my literal job was to foster community. So my job was to be friends with people, basically. I didn't know and this. To, oh, yeah. And to come up with events. Like, I led pub crawls. Like, I would give people advice on what to do, where to eat. I would walk. Like, people would get lost all the time because we were in Venice. And it's really easy to get lost. And I I had learned the city. I've, I have a really good memory for, like, directions. So I was really good at navigating. So literally, like, people would call the hostel that they were lost, and they would send me, and I would go and, like, retrieve people and bring them back. It was all about community. And that's what I love about hostels. And you do not get that in hotels or Airbnbs or, like, basically any other type of um, accommodation. The hostel I worked in, we had family dinner every night, and that's, like, pretty normal. Oh, my God, I had no idea. Everyone who stayed in the hostel, we all would go out together. That totally changes everything that I thought a hostel was. <laughs> so not all hostels are like this, but the good ones are. Everywhere I've been that I've ever stayed in hostels, they've they've been like that. There's events, like, and they give you so much more information about what to do in a city than a hotel does. I love that. And also, I had no... Okay, when you told me that you worked at a hostel, I thought you were literally just like checking people in a la regular hotel style. I had no idea that you were doing community stuff there. Like, that's a whole conversation in itself is like what that was like and all the crazy stuff that you probably saw. And like, that's so fun. What a fun job. Oh my gosh. How did you even find that job? I can't believe I've never told you this. This hostel is like actually kind of famous. I don't think it exists anymore, but like... 10 years ago, this was like the hostel you went to in Venice, Italy. And I stayed there and I became friends with one of the women who worked there. She was Italian. And when I left, I stayed like, I stayed three days and then ended up there a week because that's what happens. (laughs) You get sucked in, you're having a great time. So you just don't want to leave. And so when I finally did leave, this woman was like, here's my contact info. If you ever want to come back and stay here in exchange for some work, like you're welcome to. And a few weeks later, I went back to Canada. Like I was living in Ottawa at the time and school wasn't going well. Like I felt like I needed to just travel more. And so I emailed her and she said, yeah, come. Oh my God. So I booked a flight and I went to Venice and I stayed there for like several months. And I lived like in this weird basement room. <laughs> I had like a bed there. You need to create a better visual idea of what your bedroom was because I'm just thinking of it like a dungeon at this point. (laughs) So Venice floods in the spring. So I went in February. Like you can tell flood season is coming because you'll notice they start to put tables outside. So when the water is really high, you can walk on the tables. So because of the flooding, which goes like quite high, like up to like four, four feet is probably the max. All of the homes there are designed so that the main floor, usually like when you enter a home in Venice, you go down first into this like weird cellar basement area, and then you go up a flight of stairs. So the the main living area is always raised. And in those basement-y areas, there's not a lot. And every single building has this because when it floods, 
the flood stays down there and mm. it doesn't like impact your actual living space. So I lived in like the flood dungeon basically. <laughs> <laughs> During flood season, I got to live upstairs. I was then... learning so much, and then you brought me back to reality. <laughs> okay, yeah. I need to hear more and more of these hostel stories. Now that I have a better idea of like what you were doing there, there's got to be so many more stories. So I can't wait. I actually can't believe I've never told you, but th- I have so many. All I knew stories. was the bare bones. All I knew was the bare bones. So, yeah, you know, like I think. Hostels probably aren't for everyone. I don't know that everyone is looking for that kind of like social experience when they travel. But if you are, stay in a hostel. And the nice thing about it too is like you get to be in control of how social you are. I've definitely stayed in hostels before where I don't spend that much time hanging with people that I've met and I more keep to myself. And in that case, it's just, you know, an economical way to stay when you travel. But yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about hostels with Charlotte, so let's get into it. So first off, I actually have to admit, we had planned to call this episode Travel in Your Golden Years, but then I thought on it and I was like, is this like an acceptable term to use? So I wanted to ask how you feel about the term golden years. <laughs> that, that is fine. Uh, uh, a guy was carrying my luggage. A bellman had my luggage and stopped at the desk. And I overheard him saying something about the elderly lady here. And I was like, yikes, elderly. Oh. <laughs> so golden, golden years is way better than elderly. Something about that one was like, Ooh. yeah, I feel because that's what I was thinking. I was like, golden years is like really celebratory. I feel like it's kind of a nice term. So yeah, I wanted to ask about your relationship to travel. Like we said at the top of the show in the introduction, um, you started traveling shortly after you became a widow. But before that, what kinds of travels did you do with your husband and your family? Well, my family didn't travel so much, but I always wanted to travel and I always just loved the idea of travel. And my husband, when I met him, it turned out he did too. He had 12 brothers and sisters and they sort of lived all over the country. So he was always going different, you know, different cities to visit them. And he once told me when we were dating that he wanted to see all 50 states. And that was just like right up my alley. And he wanted to see all of the national parks. And so we did see the 50 states. We got to many, maybe, oh, I don't know, over 20 or so of the national parks. So, and, you know, we did some international travel. That wasn't exactly his thing because being more of a a nature lover and all, he really was quite happy here exploring the United States. After he died, I just, you know, I continued on with a lot more international because I'd been all over the United States. I'd been to all the major cities and um, a lot of the mid-sized cities. And so that's when I just sort of ramped it up with going internationally more so. Wow. Can I ask how long it took to get to all 50 states? Uh, Maybe 20 years, I guess. Wow. And I know this is probably an impossible question to answer, but which states stood out to you the most? Do you have any favorites? Well, I think probably everybody loves California. Yeah. And naturally, I mean, you know, that goes without (laughs) saying that California is the favorite. But um, other than California, there are really quite a few. I loved Maine. 
it was just so, so stunning in so many ways, not to mention how affordable lobster was everywhere. Yes. And um, I actually, I love Michigan a lot. It's a beautiful state and there's so much to do. And it's just, you know, such a variety of things there. And the seasons are all, you know, really quite entertaining. Uh, of course, Florida, but even, you know, the Carolinas and the little islands off the Carolinas. There's so many. Really, I just always say that you really want to see all 50 because each state is really uniquely fantastic. So I know your husband passed away after 31 years of marriage. If you're comfortable sharing, would you like to tell us a bit about your husband and how you met and maybe some favorite memories of him? Well, my husband and I met at a happy hour. And we, yeah, so you do meet guys at bars uh, and marry them. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we were actually working at the same place. And uh, I had just moved to Cleveland and we were both working at a high school there in Cleveland. Uh, my department chairman was always introducing me to guys. And I mean, like every Friday, Saturday night, I had a, a different date. <laughs> it was just so much fun. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, I saw him in the main office one day and I was in there and I see this tall, really handsome guy. And so I said to the, uh, the head secretary, whom I, you know, is sort of chummy with at this point, And I said, who's that guy? And she's like, oh, well, that's Mr. Simpson. I said, is he married? She's like, no. And I was like, wow. And so anyway, I immediately like go tell my department chairman, I saw this guy, I want to meet him. And so he says, he says, you need to stay in town and go to happy hour with all the teachers Friday afternoon because he comes to happy hour every week. And I was like, okay. And that Friday, and all of the teachers that were at happy hour were also going on to our high school's football game that night. So he asked me, he said, are you going to the game? And I said, oh, sure, of course I am. <laughs> Although I was had my suitcase in the car because I was going to zoom right on up to Detroit. But uh, anyhow, uh, we sort of sat together at the football game. And, and we just really pretty much hit it off. It, it was really pretty amazing that there was just a lot of chemistry right from the beginning and um you know started dating sort of regularly and we ended up getting married a couple years later wow that's so nice and i relate to that because i also met my partner in a bar so it does <laughs> it works <laughs> Over 31 years, you must have like gathered so many travel memories. So I wanted to ask if there's a favorite moment from one of your trips with your husband that you'd like to share. Oh, gosh, there are so many. It's really I've never been asked that question before. It's a, really? a good question. I can't I don't think I can just answer just right off the bat. But I know I'll be thinking about it all evening. My husband really loved to go to Las Vegas. He was not a gambler. He would take maybe... <laughs> $100 and play slot machines. He never sat at any kind of a table, wouldn't have known what to do if he did. But he loved to go. He just loved the energy of the city. And uh, my daughter never really went with us. And so one year, maybe she was about, oh, I don't know, in her 20s. And we all went out together. By the time we got to the hotel, she's like, what is with dad? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, He's like a different person. He's so charged up. And I said, <laughs> I don't know. That's just how he is when he's here. And from time to time throughout, throughout the trip, she would just be like, 
I'd never seen this man like this before. He, he just loved the city. I get like that when I'm in New York City. I can just feel like, I don't know, it's like my blood pressure's up or something the whole time I'm in New York City. I just, I love it so much. And I just feel energized from all the people and the traffic and the sounds. And so I guess that's just something when I think of our travels, I just think of him in Vegas and how much he loved it, even though he wasn't a gambler. (laughs) It's so funny because I've been to Vegas myself. I'm also not a gambler. I probably only did slot machines. I probably only spent like $30 total when I was there. But I loved it so much because the city has such a distinct energy and it's such an amazing place to people watch. I just wanted to be out of the hotel room just seeing what was going on because there's just so much happening in that city all the time. Yes, and that that's exactly how our trips are. We would take a city bus downtown from the Strip because we just enjoy just seeing the city, seeing the people who got on the bus, who got off, and going through some of those areas on your way downtown. Every year we would take a city bus out to, um, to uh, Sam's Town which is way, way, way out in the city. And a lot of locals go there. And we had heard about it from a friend. And we enjoyed that so much because it was locals. And it was just a whole different vibe out there than the Strip or downtown. And then we also every year took this. They had these free buses down to Laughlin, Nevada. And when you got down there, you got like a buffet and a ride on the water taxi. And so we would go down and just go from hotel to hotel to hotel on the water taxi. People watching, playing a few, I'd play a few nickels, he'd play a few quarters. And and so that was just sort of our routine, going to those same places every year on the cheapest transportation we could get. I mean, our trip out there, it was just like, it just cost nothing. It was next to nothing. Those are some good hot tips. I'm going to go to both those spots next time I'm in Vegas. (laughs) So I'm guessing that since the loss of your husband, the way that you travel or your relationship to travel even has changed a little bit. Like you mentioned, now you're doing more international travel than you were before. But could you tell us about how you got into solo travel after you became a widow? Well, I didn't really necessarily want to get into solo travel. I had never imagined myself being a solo traveler. And um, just as I hadn't imagined myself being a widow, took a few international, a couple international trips with my sister-in-law and with other friends. And then it just sort of got to a point where, um, oh, I guess maybe as I was wanting to go more places a little bit more often and they, you know, someone wouldn't want to go. They'd already been, they had another kind of financial project that they wanted to do. And there was just no one available to travel with me. I didn't want to just wait, always wait for them, because that's what I did do for a while there. And I really, really wanted to go to Italy, couldn't find anybody that wanted to go. And I just thought, I've got to figure out a plan B. And on my travels, I had frequently met women who were traveling alone. And I always felt so bad for them. I thought, oh, my gosh, this poor lady, she has no friends. She (laughs) just didn't have relatives, this poor soul. And, you know, so I would always ask them, oh, gosh, you know, how did you happen to be alone? And they were like, oh, I travel alone all the time. I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) It's okay with you? And they would tell me how much they enjoyed it and how after they tried it one or two times, they really pretty much didn't necessarily want to travel with people anymore. And and they would always say, whoever it was, they would always say, and you, I can just tell you have the personality, you would love it. 
I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't love it. I, I love people. <laughs> so anyway, with the Italy thing, I thought, well, people keep telling me that I would love it and I could do it and I wouldn't be afraid and all. And so I just thought, what the heck, let me just see, at least for this trip, since I can't get anybody. And I went to Italy. Then it was really quite a, a deep immersion into travel alone because my luggage was lost here in the States before <gasps> I even made the transfer from Atlanta oh, no. on to Rome. It was lost for 11 days of a 15-day trip. So that I learned so much from that experience, and, and it forced me to be friendlier, more outgoing, more accepting and receiving, and so many things that I really wouldn't have even done without luggage had I had a roommate or a friend along. But uh, I loved Italy. I'm fine with the experience of not having luggage. I mean, I started dealing with that while I was there. I couldn't, you know, just belabor that point. But it was just the most fun, and I knew then that I would never wait for somebody else to want to go with me. It's funny because that's also how I ended up solo traveling. Like I remember one of the first big trips I ever planned was backpacking through Europe. And I had a friend who said she was going to come. And I remember saying, okay, like we have six months, let's save money. Let's, let's do this. And about three months later, I checked in with her and said, okay, how's it going? Like, how's the money saving going? Like, can we start planning? And she just said, oh, sorry, like, I don't think I can fit it in the budget, which I totally understood, but I had been planning. And so I just ended up going by myself because I said, you know what, like, what the heck? I want to do this trip. I've been preparing for it. So I'm just going to do it. And just like you, I found that it was really good for me because I I actually, when I was younger, especially, I used to be quite shy. And it really forced me to like come out of my shell, gain some confidence and be more outgoing and willing to talk to strangers. And I feel like that's something that I've carried throughout the rest of my life, even though I don't solo travel quite as much anymore. And I think it gives you this boldness, too, because if nothing else, in some situations that maybe even here in the States, I might not do alone, but I'm there and I sort of have this attitude, I'll never see these people again in life. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like. I've only done this once, but like I would, I don't go and sit at a bar. Actually, I don't even drink. So I don't really go sit at a bar, but I was, and it was just very recently. I was in New Orleans this summer and I had wanted to hear this singer and everybody says, you've got to hear Robin Barnes. She's the songbird of New Orleans. So I was like, okay, well, I go to the place where she is. The only seat in there is at this bar and the the place is packed. Everybody's having a great time here. I come in by myself and it's like, what the heck? I don't know a soul in here. I'm going to go sit at the bar. And so I asked the bartender, I said, um, could you give me something that maybe cranberry juice in a wine glass or something? I'm already looking odd. I felt I was looking sort of odd sitting at the bar, but it's like, at least make it look like I'm having a glass of wine or something <laughs> and a normal lady. But no, you do just have this, I find that I just really have this sense of if there's something I want to do, I just sort of inhale and walk forward and do it. Katie, as you know, travel for me doesn't always go according to plan. Oh, I am well aware. I have heard enough stories on this podcast to know that mishaps can happen when anyone travels. Absolutely. And when they do, you need travel insurance. And I couldn't recommend World Nomads more as your go-to. 
Travel insurance also protects the communities you visit. Some countries' medical systems have limited services and capability. World Nomads helps ensure that you don't become a burden on the local people and economy if you need medical help. Alpaca pals, you know this is music to my ears. World Nomads policies are simple and flexible. They cover over 150 adventure activities, including higher risk activities like scuba diving and trekking. Benefits limit, conditions and exclusions apply. Be sure to read your policy wording. Learn more and get your travel insurance quote at worldnomads.com. The link is in our show notes. I'm sure after losing your life partner, it feels drastically different to travel. I mean, especially if you're traveling solo, but I'm sure like your life in general has changed a lot as well. So I was wondering how solo travel has maybe helped you to shape a new normal, not just when you travel, but in your life in general. I love it so much. And it has given me so much to look forward to. You know, many of the things that I look forward to before might involve my husband. You know, family activities, you know, even even like Christmas, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, maybe everybody's coming here for Thanksgiving or something. And I don't enjoy that so much, you know, and and I don't enjoy, you know, some of the things that involve lots of people where it would be the two of us. Someone was asking me recently about going to, you know, fancy galas or something like that. And that is something I really cannot stand at all. I mean, who wants to get all dolled up and go strutting into a dance alone? <laughs> you know, I mean, at least not for me. This is not something at all at this age that I want to do. And I know there are plenty of women that do, but it's not something I want to do. And besides, my husband looked fantastic in a tuxedo. And so it's like, it was like, you know, I don't want to go in by myself. So the travel, it gives me something to look forward to, uh, something to plan for, something, you know, when I get back, there's all the memories, there's all the photos, posting photos, sharing it with so many people. It's just, it's really such a way of life for me. And I think that's why when he first died, I was doing maybe one international trip a year, maybe one or two, you know, something in the summer and maybe over Christmas. And now I do about like four or five international trips. And so every month, like the final day of wherever I am, I'm sort of starting to think <laughs> of uh, the next place I'm going, you know, so it is, it's really just the people there. And uh, we keep in touch on Facebook. Just last week, I was out to dinner with a couple from St. Croix who were uh, in town and, um, you know, we just kept in touch on Facebook from we met in the, on a trip to Thailand, Cambodia, Laos. So I love Facebook for that and Instagram, too, for just keeping in touch with people all over the world. Yeah, it's really incredible. I just I have to say you're living my dream life right now. I hope that this is my future as well, that I get to solo travel all over the world. But also like meeting people that you've met abroad, I've noticed like I'll meet someone abroad and we'll hang out for a couple days, we'll connect on social media, and then years later, we'll reconnect in another destination. And I always chalk it up to the fact that if you meet other people on your travels, they're clearly, they have a lot in common with you because they are traveling and they're open to meeting other people. And so it's kind of incredible how often I have met up with and even like actively traveled with random people that I have met on previous travels. I've probably done that more than I have traveled with friends that I have back home. Yeah, I I met a friend in 
we met in Cuba. We were both solo travel travelers. She was from Ohio. And we just really got along real, real, real well. And I was going to be going to Japan the next year, the next spring. And so I, you know, naturally it told her about this. And anyhow, when she got home, she was talking with her because she mainly only took maybe one trip a year and one with her husband. And anyway, so she told her husband and plus we just, you know, we're back and forth communicating. So I'm sure her husband was hearing about this new friend of hers. Well, it uh, ended up that he felt that um, she just needed to go on this solo trip because he sort of wanted to go to Japan, but he just knew she had had, we had had so much fun together. He's like, just go to Japan with your friend. And so we met up in Tokyo <laughs> and with the same travel company that we'd gone before. And I had already planned while we were there in Japan during cherry blossom season, which is a side story that is the most fabulous time of the year. And you must go see cherry blossoms in Japan. But anyway, our last night that we were there, we were both talking about where we were going next. And she and her husband were going to be going to Iceland in the fall. He had an airplane and they were going to be flying up. And I was going to be going to Kenya, Tanzania in the fall. And she's like, Kenya, Tanzania. Oh, my gosh. And she hadn't been to sub-Saharan Africa. She's like, oh, I really should meet you there. That has got to be. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, there's going to be the game drives and the big five and Anyway, so we're there at dinner and she's looking online with the company to see if there's still spots <laughs> on this. She booked the trip at dinner our last night in Japan. <laughs> and and I just fell in love with this woman because I was like, this is the kind of travel buddy I want. Someone that hasn't got to be, well, I'll save. Let me see. I'm going to start saying, let me think. I'll get back to you. You know, no, she booked it right that evening. <laughs> That's amazing. So I think a lot of the time solo travel is associated with travelers who are in their 20s and 30s who don't have priorities like a partner or a family yet. I traveled alone for years when I was in my 20s. And even though I have a partner now, like we love traveling together, but I still do go on trips without him. I'm I'm leaving in four weeks to go to Portugal alone. So, <laughs> But I imagine I'll always do solo throughout my life because I find it really empowering. And I actually like enjoy having that time to myself and having that time to like meet random people. But with all that said, I wanted to ask if you find ever that there's a stereotype that solo travelers are always young adults, because I have found that there seems to be like a little bit of that suggestion. Well, being on Instagram, I see it a lot, of course. And I do see that people who are older in my age are, are a lot more reluctant and a lot more fearful and and a lot of the things that that I felt about it that even a bit of a stigma that like gosh you know you're this age and you don't have any friends that want to go any, anywhere with you and you know cuz sometimes with a younger person you might just think oh maybe their friends don't exactly have the money right now but you know with someone that's older you know it it just seems like well why don't you have anyone to travel with but more and more it used to be that I might be the only person in the group that was traveling alone. And I have noticed the last couple of years that there seems to always be at least one other solo traveler. So I think it's becoming a lot, um, just a lot more commonplace. And I think those of us who are traveling solo, I think people do see us and they don't see that we're really sad about it or that we haven't had as good a time. If anything, I think they see that we're having a great time and stretching ourselves far beyond anything I ever did with my husband, ever. I honestly, like, even in my own experience, just in the last, like, 
10 years that I've been traveling, I feel like it's kind of like word has gotten out, especially amongst women, that like solo travel can be really amazing. And also that it, it's safe because I, I know, especially when I was younger, a lot of people would say to me, oh, it's not safe for you to travel alone. And I feel like the narrative around that has been evolving and changing, especially in recent years. So maybe that maybe it's true. Like maybe more women just are, are getting out there and traveling more these days. And it could be because of the internet too, because I think like now when you go online, when you're on Instagram, on Facebook, you're seeing people doing it. And when you see other people doing it, it feels more encouraging to do it yourself. So I followed you on Instagram for years and I love your content, especially because I feel like there's a lack of representation when it comes to showing travelers of different ages, especially on Instagram. Your content really shows how people who are like quote unquote boomers are going on really amazing adventures. On that note, have you found that the way you travel has changed as you've gotten older? In your Instagram bio, you you note boomer travel. I was wondering, like, how would you define boomer travel? Well, I guess I'm more so identifying myself to just people that might see my profile page just to let them know that, that I'm a boomer. I don't know that boomers travel that much differently. We probably don't do lots of risky things. For some reason right now, New Zealand pops in my head, and, and I remember there um, our tour guide saying how lots of real major kind of adventure-type sports and all were created, founded, or whatever started in New Zealand, and we went to this place where the first um, bungee jumping took place up on this really high bridge and stuff, and Uh, I think was parasailing and some other things. And so we went to those. Well, none of us that were older wanted to try it. But I just think as an older traveler, you still you still just sort of want to see things. And sometimes there are those who will give it a try. I was in St. Lucia and we went to this um, zipline park. I didn't know it was going to be so involved. I thought a zip line, you know, was point A to point B and you're done. And it, I, I don't know. I just don't know what I was expecting. But whatever I was expecting, I got all geared up. And then um, when I found that there were 12 of these loops, lines that you had to do, Whoa. I was like, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> and you knew that once you were past the first one, it was basically like there's no turning back because we're in the middle of the rainforest then. So you're in. But the guy that was a few people in front of me in line was over 80. So right then and there, I was like, if this 80 year old guy is going to do these 12 zip lines, there's no way I'm walking back down these steps and not doing them. There's just no way. And so I, I think maybe that's a little bit of it now that there's more of us traveling solo and just out there, you see this other person. And if you had the, you know, the chutzpah to get out there and travel solo, <laughs> well, then when you see somebody else that's doing it, it's like, if he can do it, I can do it too. So it's definitely like a misconception that travel changes as you age. You're going to slow down. I mean, there are people who wouldn't have. But I think the people who want to, they do. And I just think something about travel just empowers you and enlivens you. I mean, I get to places and they'll be like, the best view is from the top of that tower and it's 500 steps. And you're like, oh, gosh, well, I think that one I did in Milan was 350. I can do it, you know, and you just do it. It sounds like you're a bit like me. If someone says that to me, oh, the best view is at the top of this mountain. I can't not climb the mountain then. Right. Like once it's been said to me, I have to do it. 
Yeah, I I don't know how many steps I've climbed <laughs> because <laughs> that was the best view. And 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 like I said, this self-imposed peer pressure that you see everybody and it's like, so what am I going to do? Sit down here and twiddle my thumbs and wait for them to all get back down? No. <laughs> it's funny too, because like I, I have to say like now I'm in my 30s and I do think I travel differently than I did in my 20s, just in the sense that like I'm not as much of a budget traveler. I used to like try to save money by staying in dorm rooms. And now I'm like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I need to have a room to myself. I need my own bathroom. So that's like the biggest change I've noticed. And this is something too, that I actually even say, you know, and talking to tourism boards and all that, that, and with baby boomers, that, um, we were that generation that saved money and invested and, you know, worked 30, 40 years at a job so we'd have a good retirement and all. And so we have lived with this delayed gratification. And now here we are. If yeah. we want to stay at a Ritz-Carlton because we've heard that it's gorgeous, that's where we're going to treat ourselves to and stay. And if we're going to have room service, we're going to have it. And, you know, it's like, no, I'm not going to go to a hostel. No, I'm not going to go to econo this or something. I mean, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I can't take it with me. I've seen we've all at this age, you've seen too many people who have gone basically before their time, you feel. And so you know just how tentative life is and how precious it is, and you cannot take it with you. So if I'm on this trip and if the hot air balloon ride costs $500 and it's going to be just two-hour ride over the Serengeti, you got my 500 bucks, I'm in. <laughs> it's bad because... I'm a millennial and I should be saving money for retirement, but instead I'm saying yes to the $500 (laughs) higher balloon rides that I can't really afford, but here we are. I just figure, oh, I'll pay it off later. (laughs) People do not listen to my financial advice. When it comes to travel, I'll spend anything. And this is what I do see with millennials. And it's like, oh, I just wish that somehow miraculously I could live to see you guys. When you get like 60, what are you going to (laughs) do? I don't know. I'm going to think about it later. (laughs) You will have done everything. So you'll be very content to just sit on the porch in a rocking chair. See, we don't want to sit in the rocking chair because we've been saving up money all these years. You've clearly done a lot of solo travel. I wanted to ask if you have any tips that you can share that you've picked up that are especially helpful for solo travelers and also advice that you might have for people who are interested in solo traveling but haven't yet leaped into it. Well, um, as far as tips go, uh, just off the top of my head, pack as light as possible. You know, because there's never anybody who's going that you can count on to carry anything for you, to help you with anything. Be super, super, super organized and be prepared for just any kind of worst case scenario. If you think, oh, what if I get sick? Well, then maybe get like an insurance or um, in, in some cases, especially with older people, I now get an insurance that has medevac, you know, the, because my husband got sick in Costa Rica and they asked if we did have an insurance there so he could have been transported back to the United States. And so you do want to look at those, not just the ones from the tour companies, but from those special 
companies that sell medical evacuation and, and paying, you know, hospitals in other countries and a lot of things like that. Uh, I've learned I really like to have lots of U.S. cash because pretty much most places, certainly in, in many, many parts of the world, will accept United States dollars. And when I get places, I will get some local currency. And I feel very, very empowered actually having cash because there's some places around the world where cash is still king. It's not so much, you know, an ATM card or anything. You know, you're dealing with an individual and they want cash, you know, and it just sort of opens doors for you and it, it creates some conveniences for you. I just try to think of, and now I've seen many of the worst case scenarios. So just be, be, be prepared for those. And once you're prepared for whatever you view as what if da, 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 once you're prepared for that, then you can go and just have the time of your life. Yeah, great point. And I love your point about cash because I think it's really funny how like we've, we've fully embraced like card culture in North America, but around the world, like that's really not the case yet. And I find like whenever I leave the country, I'm basically switching entirely to spending in cash. Like I pay for everything with cash. And I also find it's like a really good tool for budgeting your trip as well. Because if you take out like a certain amount of cash, usually what I'll do is like take out a set amount and think, okay, this is my budget for the next three days. And you can better track like what you're spending that way, I find personally. And I think just a little safety trip too with cash. I always carry, um, if it's a place that I know that they're okay with US dollars, I carry about, oh, a hundred $1 bills. And I don't carry all of them around every day, but, you know, I carry a little stash of them depending on where I'm going. Because if I'm just going to be buying a scarf or something and I'm bartering with someone and I end up, you know, the scarf's going to be $4. Well, I just want to have four U.S. dollars to hand them. And we're not standing there and me feeling like, oh, gosh, what if somebody snatches my purse or whatever? Or I don't have to go in my purse because I, I keep those dollars sort of like in my pocket or something. And um I'm not constantly in and out of my purse where somebody could like grab my wallet or something. Mm -hmm. I'm Canadian, so I never have U.S. dollars on me. This is news to me that you can use U.S. dollars all over the world because Canadian dollars, you definitely can't. People look at it and they're like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, not all over the world, but like I was in, uh, I did a trip that was like five countries in Central America. And I don't think I ever exchanged to any local currency there. Now, in Japan, yes, you had to. I don't even think they knew what the U.S. dollar was. Many, many countries, you know, and, and in Europe, you, you've got to get those euros. But once again, with euros, I carried lots of small denominations and all. But when I was in Africa, South America, Southeast Asia, they love U.S. dollars. But you had said, you know, something I would say to someone who hasn't taken a trip just as encouragement for possibly trying a solo trip, unless you just have some major reason that you just just don't absolutely don't want to do it, then don't. Um, but if you sort of are wavering, then I would say think of some place you've always wanted to go. Just always. I've met so many people on their first solo trip and it was like, I always wanted to go to Switzerland or I always wanted to see Machu Picchu. And I'm thinking, Machu Picchu, this is sort of a biggie for your first time alone. But there was a girl when I went to Kenya on safari 
and she was maybe 42, had never traveled alone at all. And here she was. She's like, I just really want to do the safari. And here she's, and she's got on these short shorts and a little tank top and, you know, no sunscreen, no malaria pill, nothing. Just, she's just there in Kenya. She just came and without doing any of the precautions. But she had the best time. She was frequently in the same Jeep that I was in. She was just so much fun. And she has continued to travel solo, dressing, you know, a little more appropriate for the location, <laughs> but having a great time. So if there's somewhere you really want to go and nobody wants to go, like I really wanted to go to Italy, because if you really want to go there, you're going to be so happy you're there. You're not going to be focusing on the fact that you're alone or you're scared or you're lonely or bored or I don't want to go in that restaurant. You get to Italy and you've always wanted to go. You're going to go in restaurants. You're going to, you know, maybe especially if it's someplace you've read about or you know you want to try there. You will have so much more nerve and so much more confidence about it. So go to that place, just that dream destination that you have. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think I've told Katie this before. I feel like, especially when I solo travel, as soon as I land in my destination, I feel like I'm kind of a different person, <laughs> which is weird to say, but it's kind of like I flip into this like vacation mode, Erin. Part of it is probably because like I'm not working, so I'm relaxed in a way that I'm normally not. But it's kind of funny how that like just comes over you the second you arrive somewhere new. It really does, it, you know, and it's and it's not that you're going to do anything that you wouldn't normally do or do something sort of bad or naughty, or yeah. anything, but you just have this feeling of, I guess it's like the people in the movies that we've seen, you know, the, who've gone off alone and you're just like, wow, I can just, you know, I'm going to zip in and out of shops and restaurants and sit over and you know it's just it's so it's an odd kind of feeling to even describe but you're so empowered and emboldened and excited and I guess and proud of yourself too you know because yeah, you are sort yeah. of thinking about all those people who've told you oh how can you do it and it's like look at me I'm here and I'm walking down the street by myself and smiling at people and they're smiling back it's just it's so exhilarating. Oh, you have me so excited that I get to do this in just a few weeks. <laughs> well, to wrap up, I wanted to ask, are there any big travel plans for the future? Any dream destinations that you're hoping to get to soon? Well, I um, in August, I went to Germany and I um, had a very wonderful time. But I realized then that until things are, there are fewer restrictions in various places. I just, it wasn't quite the awesome time that I normally have when I do go to Germany. So I really want to give international travel a few more months before I go any place again. I do have a trip booked for spring. Uh, when I went to Japan a few years ago and saw cherry blossoms, that was just like life changing. It was beauty everywhere for about 10 days. I've never experienced anything like it. And so this past spring, my daughter and I went to Washington, D.C., which is known for its cherry blossoms. That too was phenomenal. And so now I'm on this cherry blossom spring travel <laughs> in search of cherry blossoms. So this spring, um, the first week of April, I'm going to Europe. I'll be going to um, Paris, Brussels, Bruges, Berlin, 
Amsterdam, oh, Luxembourg, all of those cities I've noticed on Instagram the last year or so that around springtime, because I've sort of been keeping like little lists of places that really have good posts on springtime. And uh, so when I saw this particular trip, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and see gorgeous cherry blossoms in Europe. I love it. You're doing the cherry blossom tour. We actually have cherry blossoms here in Toronto. I don't know if they would be as great as they are in Japan, but they're really pretty. Nothing against Toronto or Washington, (laughs) D.C., which I saw Washington's and they were incredible. I would recommend anyone go. But the thing with Japan is the country, apparently the government itself, has made a concerted effort to have cherry blossoms as many places as possible in the entire country. So even arriving in Tokyo at the airport, as you're landing along the the landing strip there over on the land that you see, it's cherry blossom trees. Wow. So, I mean, your very first sight looking out the window as you're landing there is cherry blossoms. When you're on the highway, you will see them just in small towns, just lots of them in small towns, center medians of the streets downtown, you know, Osaka, uh, Kyoto, Tokyo, there's, they're everywhere. The, all of the country really has made it a priority to have the most beautiful cherry blossoms in the world. And they have done it. Nobody, no place. Well, now that I'm in the search of better than Japan cherry blossoms, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have to let me know. But you've really sold me on going to Japan in the spring. Like my partner and I have been before and we absolutely loved Japan. It's probably one of our favorite countries that we've ever been to. So it's been on our agenda to go back. So now I know we have to go in cherry blossom season for sure. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to chat with you. I love all your stories and your advice. Before we let you go, where can our alpaca pals find you and follow along on your adventures? Well, I am the Traveling Black Widow on Instagram and Facebook and in the process of also creating a blog. And um, I have a website, travelingblackwidow.com. Come and check me out on Instagram. Follow along, Facebook, follow along, Traveling Black Widow. Would love it. Alpaca My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and produced by Katie Lohr. Do you want to support this podcast? If so, there are a few ways that you can. You can leave a review on your podcast app or show us your love on Patreon. Pledging $5 a month or more directly supports the making of this show. The link to our Patreon is in the show notes. That's all for now, Alpaca Pals. I'll talk to you again in two weeks, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bags safely and soon. Bye.